name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants, let the bridegroom leave his room, and the bride her chamber. Well, redeemed, these words are drawn from the Old Testament for this Ash Wednesday. And with these words, the prophet Joel calls for a great need of urgency. The reason for this is that there's a great army approaching God's people. Yet this wasn't an army of soldiers and chariots. Instead, it was a plague of locusts. In the first chapter, the prophet Joel writes, What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. And what the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. Now I want you to try to imagine what this would look like for a second. The bright blue sky suddenly gives way to black as billions of locusts fill the air. And as these locusts descend upon your field, your once bountiful crop is suddenly wiped out, gone, devastated. There's nothing left. Prophet Joel speaks of it this way. It has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. Nothing left. And, in, and so in the face of this devastation and possible starvation, the prophet Joel calls for a great need of urgency. Everyone... From the elders to the nursing infants should assemble. In fact, he says, couples should postpone their wedding. Or even postpone the consummation of their marriage. And yet the reason for this urgency isn't to make a plan in order to stop the locusts. And it wasn't to make a plan to gather in as many crops as possible at the last second. No. The urgency that Joel calls for is that of repentance. See, the locust plague wasn't just some natural disaster, a matter of just bad luck, you want to call it that. Instead, it was the judgment of God against his people. It was the day of the Lord. Blow a trumpet in Zion. The prophet Joel declares, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Now the prophet Joel doesn't specify what sin had prompted this judgment by God, yet it was clearly sin that had caused God to send the devastating locust plague. 
And so, in the face of this punishment for sin, God declares through his prophet, return to me with all of your heart. Another way of putting this is repent with all your heart. Oh, redeemed, we speak a lot about repentance, don't we? And yet, what does it really mean? Well, repentance consists of two parts. The first is contrition, sorrow, the terror that strikes the conscience when sin is recognized. It's brought by God's word of law. The second part to repentance is faith, which is brought to life by the gospel, absolution, God's word of forgiveness. And this faith believes that sins are forgiven because of Christ. And so, more than relief from any ongoing pain you may have, more than you need financial security, more than you need a change of circumstances, more than you need a lengthening of your life and peace of mind, more than anything else that you need, your need for repentance is greater, dare I say, urgent, like that of God's people in our Old Testament reading. And as God commands all people everywhere to repent, repentance isn't an option for you. Neither is it a one-time thing, something that you do or something you do during Lent only. In fact, our entire Christian life is to be one of daily repentance. There's such an urgent need for this repentance because we sin much. Consider once again the Old Testament for this Ash Wednesday. Now, why the prophet Joel doesn't name a specific sin that brought about God's wrath and punishment upon his people... It wouldn't be too difficult to guess what that sin might be. Time and time and time again, Israel sinned by worshiping the false gods of the nations around them. And not only that, but their lives were one in which the wealthy and powerful took advantage of the poor and the weak. And it's the same thing that describes our sin. While we're to fear and love and trust in the triune God above all things, we find no shortage of things that are more important to us. In the ways that we use our time, in the ways that we use our energy, God often takes second place because there are activities, hobbies, interests that are always more important. While we're to love our neighbor as ourselves, we easily put ourselves above our neighbor. We hurt him by what we say, by what we do. We take pleasure in sharing information that harms his reputation. Maybe we put him in the worst possible light. As Israel had sinned against the triune God, so have you. 
and try as you might to run away from this truth, there's no way of hiding from it. God's word of law exposes every sin. It always accuses us. And by God's standards of perfection, you fall short. By God's righteous rules, you stand condemned, deserving of hell itself. Fellow redeemed, now is the time to repent, to turn to the Lord with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts by confessing that you're by nature sinful and unclean, that you're deserving of both present and eternal punishment because of that sin. Now is the time to repent, to return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster, as the prophet Joel writes. Now, did you catch that last part? In the face of repenting over sin, in the face of fasting and weeping and mourning over that sin, in the face of the punishment of death over that sin, the prophet Joel reveals there's hope in repentance. God calls his people to repentance because he is the gracious, merciful, loving God who forgives who relents over disaster. And this promise of forgiveness isn't based upon your work of repentance. No. God forgives sins because of the person and work of Christ. Consider the gospel text from this past Sunday. In it, Jesus said to his disciples, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon, and after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. It's on the cross where Jesus took upon himself the punishment that you rightly deserve for your sin. As true God in human flesh, he bore your guilt. He bore your shame. He bore your offenses in his very flesh. For every time you've broken God's law of failing to love God and failing to love your neighbor, Jesus bore all of them. All of your sins were piled on him. And, the, and he suffered the Father's wrath for your sins. On the cross, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for you. So that in him, you might become the righteousness of God. Hello, redeemed. Christ is the reason you can approach God in daily contrition and repentance. During the season of Lent and beyond, don't seek to make excuses for your sins. Don't seek to minimize your sin or ignore your sins. No. 
Instead, repent of your sins. Repent for it's your greatest need. Come into his house. Confess your sins so that he may speak to you his words of forgiveness and life and salvation. For just as the prophet Joel assured the people of Israel that they could repent and turn to God, so can you. For Christ's sake, God is gracious. He is merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You have no need to wonder whether he will turn and relent. God promises for a forgiveness, life, and salvation are sure and certain for you. It's backed by Christ's innocent suffering and death on the cross and by his glorious resurrection from the dead. God be praised. Amen. Peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord.